0: So welcome to Regenerative Medicine today, this is John Murphy, it's my pleasure to welcome to this podcast Dr. Cecilia Yates. Dr. Yates is an assistant professor in the School of Nursing at the University of Pittsburgh with secondary appointment in departments of pathology at the School of Medicine. Dr. Yates, welcome to Regenerative Medicine Today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Perhaps you can begin this discussion by sharing a little bit of some highlights of your pioneering research.
1: So our lab focused on mainly tissue repair. Our organ of interest is skin. And we are very interested in understanding how the extracellular matrix microenvironment controls cell signaling to better understand how the wound healing process proceeds and when it goes awry. And we have several different models, but we operate under the overall hypothesis that it is cell matrix, but also matrix cell signaling that controls scarring. One of our extreme scarring models is a scleroderma model in which this autoimmune disease is one that has a obviously a strong immune component, but ultimately these patients in this cohort, they succumb to the fibrosing scarring and that leads into the internal organs. And that's what typically causes the mortality and morbidity of this set of patients. And so our interest is understanding how the fibrotic element can be modulated and less responsive to the immune or the chronic inflammation that occurs in this model.
0: So perhaps we can go back for a moment just to make sure everybody's on the same page. And you talk about cell signaling. Basically, as I understand the the tissue engineering approach, you have a biologically compatible scaffold that uh, accepts cells and forms new tissue. The cell signaling seems to be a very important aspect of this outcome. Is that correct?
1: Yes, it is a very important outcome, and I think that the tissue engineering community is doing an amazing job. We've made a lot of advances in the last 10 years with understanding how cells and cell-cell interaction and how they can interact with the particular scaffold. One of the things we like to focus on is really what role do the extracellular matrix components play in the cell signaling and how does it influence cell-cell communication There are several different types of matrix components obviously the widely known as collagen but there are other matrix kinds tenascin C fibronectin laminin all of these we are finding plays a very key role in how the cells respond to the microenvironment so that is one thing that I think was tissue engineers begin to refine these scaffolds that they're making, is understanding how they're not just housing the cell. This is not just a biomaterial, but is causing a biological response that can improve or inhibit the healing process.
0: Dr. Yates, I believe that you have an interest in developing different types of scaffolds that help to alleviate scarring issues, is that correct?
1: That's correct.
0: Can you give us some indication of the different scaffold systems you're considering?
1: So what we're considering are more bioresponsive scaffolds. We're interested in like, cellular therapy. Stem cell therapy has come a long way in treating patients that are prone or to hypertrophic or excessive scarring. Well, one of the issues is survival of those cells. Another issue is how are those cells going to integrate into the microenvironment. And so are some of their beneficial properties, are they actually going to translate once inside the tissue microenvironment? So the development of a bioresponsive scaffold polymer is something that we think is important to move this type of technology forward in the sense that when you use these bioresponsive scaffolds as a vehicle for cell therapy or cell transplantation, that the cells that are being transplanted are responsive to that individual scaffold and polymer and they secrete their trophic factors into the wound so essentially we call it educating the wound it's almost like a schoolhouse and that schoolhouse is plugged into the wound environment and it is responding to the surrounding cues so that it's beneficial. And it's done in a more individualized, personalized way because every wound is different. We now know that we heal differently. The heterogeneity among one patient to another is so broad that it's very hard to find one targeted therapeutic. So developing bioresponsive, things that can be influenced by the cues of the individual microenvironment is really important to moving these type of technologies forward.
0: So you mentioned ECM a while ago, extracellular matrix. and Now you've mentioned polymer scaffolds. I get the impression that you're actually headed towards customized polymer scaffolds as opposed to ECM, is that correct?
1: That is correct, but these customized polymer scaffolds, I think we want to keep in mind are um, sometimes supplemented or e- ECMs are added to them. So it may not be the native ECM, but we do add kinds and collagen. Um, some of these polymers have... PEG, collagen components to it, adding a pro-survival matrikyne, fibronectin, tenacin, are very beneficial in allowing them to become more bioreactive.
0: So is there a particular type of wound you think this is most applicable to? You mentioned burdens before.
1: It's very difficult at the preclinical model to test chronic wounds. But that is something we are keeping in mind because the pathology and the pathogenesis that we know that occurs in chronic wounds, especially those of diabetic patients, this type of bioreactive technology would be very important. We think it will be key and very beneficial for it. So the challenge has been finding the appropriate model to test it in. Currently, we've tested these in hypertrophic scarring models or excessive scarring models, and we have seen an improved healing. We've seen a change in the healing trajectory, where there's a reduction of scar. There is better connective tissue remodeling. So that is where we're moving towards. But ultimately, I think this will be have. Great benefit for those patients that are suffering from chronic wounds, diabetic ulcers, venous ulcers, and so.
0: Forth. What's the status of your studies?
1: We're still in preclinical phase for this particular polymer. We have multiple collaborations. It's been a huge team. The interesting thing this. PEG based polymer started out of the McGowan Institute and the School of Engineering with Eric Beckman when he created the polymer. It's an antimicrobial polymer to help basically soldiers or military personnel in combat reduce the infection. So we've now morphed that polymer into supplementing some of the ECMs that we were just talking about, so that it is more of a cell delivery system that can help educate the wound microenvironment. It's been a huge team that we've worked with, Alan Wells and the Department of Pathology. So I think that... Creating something of this nature requires a very multidisciplinary approach, and we are trying to integrate that in all aspects as we improve the polymer.
0: So, I seem to recall that you and your colleagues have a startup to spin out applying this technology.
1: Not with this technology there is a different technology that we've been working on for the last six or seven years, and it was developed out of understanding how chemokines signal to improve overall wound healing, and not how they necessarily signal with the immune cells, but their signaling of our stromal cells, the fibroblasts, endothelial cells, and late healing, And so we developed small fragment peptides. And these peptides, they're not small molecules, but they're 22, 20 amino acids or less. And they're very targeted in a way. And we've applied this peptide to several different tissue repair models. One is a cardio. So we're looking at it in myocardial infarction. Also in glycoma. The eye is extremely vascular, and when a wound occurs, even if it's surgically induced after uh, a trabeculectomy, for say, the eye. Overheals at times, so we've applied these peptides to that type of model as well as in the skin. And we see a complete improvement, not just in overall healing, but a regression of the excessive vascularization that occurs. And so, what we've done is license this technology through Pittsburgh to a new small startup company called Ocogenics.
0: Congratulations, that's a big step forward.
1: Yeah, thank you.
0: So can you, can you give us some indication of the status of the new company?
1: So the new company is doing well. We're moving through FDA approval, and we hope to be in phase one clinical trials by the end of 2018.
0: That's very exciting. There certainly has been a dramatic increase in the number of spin-outs that have come from this technology here at the university yeah. in the last couple of years.
1: I agree, and I think that the environment here at Pitt is one that definitely fosters that type of creativity and entrepreneurship.
0: Dr. Yates, uh, can you tell us a little bit more about some additional studies that you have?
1: Yes. So one of the things that we've been working on in our lab is a prediction modeling system. As I mentioned earlier, that when studying tissue repair, there is something we have to consider, and that is the heterogeneity that exists among patients from one individual to the next. And regardless of the disease state or the type of injury, we tend to heal differently. And what we're interested in is understanding how in autoimmune diseases, where fibrosis is a key element how we can predict the individuals that are more prone to a more diffuse and a progressive form of the disease and the fibrotic element versus those who have more of a limited form and in the last four years we developed a prediction model using bioinformatics we've worked with several outside sources and investigators around Pitt in which we have identified certain gene signatures, certain clusters of genes that are prevalent in individuals that are now showing a more progressive form of the disease. So one of the things I would say in the case of scleroderma, African American women are four times more likely to develop the diffuse and progressive form of this disease. What is that? Why is that? Are there certain mutations or gene signatures that can help us identify so we can treat them at an earlier stage? And the current state of this model is that we have, to a certain degree, a high level of accuracy. We are able to show Or identify these signatures in patients that have already had the extreme severe form of disease versus those that have had the limited form.
0: So, this is a very pioneering study, is the model fairly mature at this point?
1: The model I would say is mature, but testing the model. So the approach we chose is one that is sort of known as a reverse translational approach. We started with the clinical samples. We started with the patients. We had over 120 patients that we sampled, and they all had different clinical profiles. So we used that clinical profile data along with their genomic data from microarray studies to determine which patients are classified with certain signatures versus the other. So now what we're doing is moving that back to generate certain hypotheses on what we should study at the bench. So it's more of a bedside to bench Approach, than going back to the bedside instead of starting with the bench and going forward. We think that this approach will allow us to develop more targeted preclinical models so we can have a higher chance of success moving back into the clinic.
0: So based on where you're headed, will it be expensive to acquire the data to test a particular patient's susceptibility?
1: is not necessarily expensive. So the interesting thing about the patients that we're working with, the scleroderma patients, and we are now using genomic technology, most of this information is publicly available. So scleroderma is a orphan disease, is rare. We want to be able to use data that's already been obtained. So the first 120 patients that we had, the microarray data, the genomic data on these patients, their molecular profiles, were publicly available. We were just able to access that data and perform a secondary analysis and use that to help develop our prediction model. I think this is a really good tool and a good benefit for the resources that have already been put in to analyzing and testing this particular cohort of patients.
0: It's exciting. So when might this be available as a tool to, to clinicians?
1: What we're doing now is refining the testing, and obviously we need additional training sets to improve the model. And we're now going back into the lab, testing some of these signatures in our preclinical models to determine or improve its accuracy. So we hope in the next couple of years this is something that clinicians will consider using in their Personalized treatment of these patients that are suffering from this terrible disease.
0: Dr. Yates, thank you for joining us and sharing with us your pioneering studies. Follow it on the podcast website, the URL, Dr. Yates' website, if you want to further learn more about her interesting and pioneering work. Until we meet again, I'd like to thank the McGowan Institute for Regenerative Medicine that sponsors this podcast series. You can reach us at mail at suggestions on podcasts that be of interest to you and to all thank you for listening